You're listening to the eFree Lethbridge Podcast. A couple weeks ago, I told you that my first date with Christine was on February 14th, Valentine's Day, and that I took her to see Saving Private Ryan, and you guys laughed, and that hurt a little bit. And I said that I got better from there, but my wife reminded me that it was marginal at best, and she reminded me of the day that we made it official, and how I asked her to marry me, and where I took her on our honeymoon. But I think I finally got it right on our 20th anniversary, just this past December. 20 years, guys, so, you know, got some time. She's always wanted to go to New York, to see the city, to go to a Broadway play, so I made reservations at Moxie's. <laughs> and then I gave her a time limit. Super romantic, 20th anniversary date, on the clock. Really good to start. But what she didn't know is there was a reason for all of this. She didn't know that I had rented Sonder, a local coffee shop, for the evening, and that many of our friends and family were gathering there for a surprise anniversary party. And you need to remember that this was in the days of COVID when it was iffy if we could gather or not. We were allowed to gather indoors, but just barely allowed. And there was an announcement the night before and I was worried they were gonna cancel our anniversary party Uh, again. The government always meddling with those things. And Christine's love language, you need to know, is quality time, time spent with people. And she really likes surprises. So I knew this was going to be great. She thought it was just another failed date, which was so fun for me. You know at the end of the meal when the waiter comes with the machine and you're paying and they make small talk with you and they've been trained in wait school to ask you this question. It seems this is the most common question right now. Got any plans for the rest of the evening? And I can feel Christine staring at me like, "Mm mm-hmm. What you got? And I so desperately want to say, it's our 20th anniversary. I'm taking her to see Saving Private Ryan. (laughs) But I didn't. Another thing about Christine is that she doesn't really have a poker face. And so as we pull up to Sonder, I can pretty much read what she's thinking. Hmm, here we go again. Did I really shave my legs for this? Then I watch the realization start to set in as she realizes that she knows everybody in the coffee shop and finally figures out that this was all part of the plot. And it turned out to be a great night. She was totally surprised. We had some great food and drinks and it was so fun to celebrate with people, just to be with people again and to party together. And then partway through the evening, Pastor Ian, who used to be pastor here and who married us 20 years ago, called for everyone's attention and we stood in front of our friends and our family holding hands and we renewed our vows, which she also did not know was coming. I did all right, right? Yeah, 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 thank you. And we did that not because we were less committed to each other than we were when we first said our marriage vows, but simply as an opportunity to express and celebrate our continued love and commitment to one another in a formal, meaningful way in front of our friends and in God's presence. Renewed commitments, 
We make them all the time. Sometimes we renew our marriage commitments. Sometimes, for many of us, almost every January, we renew our commitment to exercise more and to eat better. And some of us can point to times in our lives when we've renewed our commitment to Jesus. Times when we've strayed from his path and we've had to do a 180 and come back and follow him. Times when he's asked us to make an extraordinary sacrifice and we needed to renew our commitment. Is this worth it? Can I give this up? and follow Jesus. Times when he's led us on a path that maybe we wouldn't have chosen for ourselves and we've had to recommit ourselves to his pathway. Sometimes maybe you've done this formally and publicly through an altar call or through a profession of faith or, or with a group of people and sometimes maybe you've done it quietly and privately in personal prayer. The Jews in this passage are renewing their commitment to God and the covenant that he made with them, and they're renewing their vows in a very public and formal way. Let's pick it up at, in chapter 9, verse 38. In fact, I put it on the screen. This is sort of the beginning of chapter 10, but they put it at the end of chapter 9. In view of all this, we're making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites and our priests, are affixing their seals to it. In the context of the Jews in 5th century BCE is very different than our context today. So we can't just take their renewed commitment that they make in chapter 10 and adopt those commitments without consideration and without thought. But we can and we should examine what the people of God in 440 BCE in Jerusalem did and apply those principles to ourselves, the people of God, in 2022 at Ephri Lethbridge. And I suggest to you that they call us to three renewed commitments as we rebuild and refocus as he free. First, there's the renewed commitment to give God the first and the best. Let's look at verse 35. We also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. As it is also written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, of our herds, and of our flocks to the house of our God, to the priests ministering there. Moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God the priests, or sorry, to the priests, the first of our ground meal, of our grain offerings, of the fruit of all our trees, and of our new wine and olive oil, and we will bring a tithe of all our crops to the Levites, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. That's a lot of firsts. Right, And we talk a lot about putting Jesus first in our lives, about seeking God's kingdom first. It's really what we mean when we confess that Jesus is Lord. He will be first and foremost over all our lives. But is it true? Is God really first in your life? Notice, they were to give the first of their crop and their fruit, the firstborn of their sons, the firstborn of their cattle, their herds and flocks, the first of the ground meal, wine, and olive oil. I, I want you to understand this. Imagine for a moment that you owned a vineyard in this time period. This means that the first bunch of grapes that gets ripe on the vine, you bring to God. No waiting to see how the rest of the harvest goes. No waiting to pay off your debts and obligations and then giving God what's left, if anything. No, the first bunch of grapes that gets ripe, you give to God. And then, when the rest of your grapes get ripe, you make them into wine, that's the only way to preserve them, and the first barrel of your wine goes to God as well. 
But before you even get to making the wine, you give God a tenth of all the harvest of your grapes on top of the first bunches that you already gave. Does God get the first and the best? What might it mean to give God the first of our financial resources? I remember when I was very young, probably about grade one, we lived in a small town, a village really called Briarcrest in Saskatchewan, and we had some neighbors who still today have marked my life in the way that they committed to give God the first and the best. Lauren and Eileen were owner-operators of a tractor, uh, semi-tractor unit, and Lauren had to buy a new truck, and he went to get a loan from the bank and was denied, And the loan officer at the bank looked at their finances and said, if they would tithe after taxes, they would be approved for the loan. And they decided that God was first, and he deserved the first. And so they refused. Whether or not God provided another way for them to buy a truck, he deserved the first and the best. And I remember hearing that as a kid, and it marked me even to this day. As I was doing some research into what it meant to bring first fruits, how much did they have to bring? Because that's what we want to know, right? What's the minimum requirement? I came across this suggestion for our contemporary context. What if giving God the first fruits meant giving God the first paycheck of the year? And it was about then that I had to take a break from my sermon prep because it was getting too convicting for me. The people of God in Jerusalem in 440 BCE, challenge us, the people of God at EFCL in 2022, to renew our commitment to giving God the first and the best of our finances. When we look at the Reveal survey, we discover that about two-thirds of us admit we're giving less than 10% to God by giving to the church. And we're seeing the effects of this in our finances right now. The reality of our financial situation about two months into our budget year is that we're already over $86,000 behind what we budgeted, and our budget was lean. As we rebuild and refocus, I suggest to you that we need a renewed commitment to giving our first finances to God. The people of God in Jerusalem in 444 BCE challenge us, the people of God in EFCL, in two 2022, to also give God the first and the best of our time. Preston has emphasized over the last couple of weeks how much time the people devoted to God and to his word. They stood for six hours in one day listening to God's word read and explained to him. And then for at least a portion of the next eight days, they did the same. And on the 24th day of that same month, they stood for another three hours listening to God's word read and explained, and a further three hours on top of that, confessing their sin and worshiping God. And they started at daybreak. Everything else could wait. First, they needed to hear God's word. They didn't wait until their chores were done and the errands were done, and then give God whatever energy and time they had left over. They gave God the best of their time. Does God get the first and best of your time? Again, Reveal showed us that a quarter of us attend church only half time or less. Is gathering with God's people to worship him a priority? Or is it something that you do as long as it doesn't conflict with travel, tournaments, or tasks? 
I'm going to do something that I don't normally do in a sermon because it kind of loses momentum. But I found this quote, and it's really long, so that's what I don't normally do is include a really long quote in the middle of the sermon. Plus, it's convicting. So I want you to be mad at him and not me. So we're going to listen to Gary Smith here. This is what he says. If diehard football fans will spend untold hours watching games in terrible cold weather, talk endlessly about their star players, spend hundreds of dollars to see their team play, and give of their time and emotional energy to further the reputation of their team, should not believers be willing to demonstrate an even greater loyalty to God? He continues, his name should be praised every week. His worship should be enthusiastically supported. It is time to challenge people to proclaim in some substantive way where their loyalty and dedication lie. Dedication to God is partially determined and I would add largely demonstrated by how people spend their time and money. They support what is important to them. At which point I told Gary to mind his business and took another break from sermon prep. Because I get it. Maybe it's not football. Maybe it's the untold hours and countless miles and hundreds of dollars you spend so your kids can play or perform. Maybe it's the endless binge watching of streaming services or playing of online games. Maybe it's the untold hours and thousands of dollars you spend on your home or your hobby. And Gary's not saying that football is bad. Neither is kids sport or dance. Gary isn't saying you can never watch a show or play a game or do renos or buy a car. He's just asking us to consider what comes first. Where does your loyalty lie? Do you schedule in and spend on those other things first and then give God whatever time and energy you have left over, if any? Is God really first? Are you giving him the first and the best of your time and your energy and your mon money? Attendance on a Sunday morning, participation in corporate worship is really just kind of the base level, the beginning level of giving the first and the best of our time to God. The people of God in Jerusalem in 444 BCE didn't just show up to worship, they contributed to the work of God so that their brothers and sisters could worship God as well. We see this in verse 34. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people, have cast lots to determine when each of our families is to bring to the house of our God at set times each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. See, they recognized that if they didn't all contribute to the worship of God, the worship of God would cease because the fire on the altar would go out. We should give our time so that everyone can worship God. Again, when we look at Reveal, it tells us that over half of us are not giving any time to the ministry of our church. And as we rebuild and refocus I suggest that we need a renewed commitment to giving God the first and the best of our time and our finances. Secondly, we need a renewed commitment to inconvenient obedience. Look at verse 30. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the people around us or to take their daughters for our sons. This left really limited options for their people's sons and daughters. They were a small 
community, a small population. But it goes even further than that. Not only would they not give their daughters and sons in future marriage, Ezra's book of what happened around the same time and the reforms that came into the people of God around the same time indicates that they commended, committed to ending their current marriages with foreign wives and sending them and their children back to the surrounding regions. And of course, I want to know what happened to those women and children in a world where their economic and physical security depended on them having a husband but the Bible doesn't tell us. And again, we can't take how the people of God in 444 BCE in Jerusalem interpreted God's will and adopt it without consideration for ourselves. But what I want to point out is that the people of God in 444 BCE in Jerusalem were willing to inconvenience themselves in order to put God first. Jesus called this teaching, take up your cross and follow me. Die to yourself in order to follow him. And so the people of God in Jerusalem in this time period challenge us, the people of God in 2022 at Ephraim Lethbridge, to a renewed commitment to inconvenient obedience. On the Reveal survey, a third of us said we weren't willing to risk everything for Jesus. And a quarter of us said we weren't willing to take an unpopular stand even when our faith required it. As we rebuild and refocus, I suggest that we too need a renewed commitment to inconvenient obedience. Third, the people of God in 444 BCE in Jerusalem demonstrated a renewed commitment to community. We see this in verse 31. When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. There's the inconvenient obedience. Every seventh year, we will forego working the land and will cancel all the debts. The cancellation of debts every seven years would provide immediate and drastic relief to the poor in the community, which was great if you, if you owed money, but was very inconvenient if you were owed. It meant that they had to trust God to provide for their needs. Can you imagine as a business owner closing the doors of your business every seven years and canceling all accounts receivable? Can you imagine as, an, as an, a worker and being employed, employee, can you imagine taking an unpaid leave of absence every seven years? Again, we're not just supposed to simply take what the people of God in Jerusalem in 444 BCE did and adopt it blindly for ourselves, but we need to consider the principles. We know we live in economically difficult times. We all are aware of this. Inflation is rising. There's rising costs of groceries and supplies. There's rising interest rates, and maybe giving to God might just seem out of reach, impossible. But what if we tried it? even just for a month? What if we committed to giving a tenth off the top for the month of October, it starts next week, as an experiment, as an act of thanksgiving, a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God? This would be a start. We could give a tenth for a twelfth, right? Kind of has a ring to it. But start there. It's not explicitly stated here, but in the law, in the original agreement between God and his people, some of the tithe that the people brought to the temple was used to help the poor, the immigrants, the widows, and the orphans. 
And we, as the people of God at E Free Lethbridge in 2022, do the same thing. As, you, as we bring our money to the church, we take part of it and redistribute it into our community. You saw the partner ministries that are in our lobby. These are just some of the places that we, we all together, help when we give to the church. This renewed commitment to the community is not just out there, but it's a renewed commitment to the community in here as well to one another. Again, look at verse 38 of chapter 9. In view of all this, in view of their sin and their confession and repentance, and in view of who God is in the midst of that, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites and our priests, are affixing their seals to it. And then the next 27 verses list all the people who sealed the agreement. And Carla, we didn't make you read all those names, so that's good, yeah. I'm I'm the nice one, yeah. (laughs) The point is, the people of God in Jerusalem thought well enough of their leaders. They trusted them enough to let them make a binding agreement with God on their behalf. And... Their leaders thought well enough of the citizens, trusted them enough, right down to the children who were old enough to understand what they were agreeing to, to bring that agreement to the people and allow them to ratify it personally. Look at verse 28. The rest of the people, so we talked about the leaders in 938, the rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, converts to Judaism, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who are able to understand, all these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our Lord. The people of God in 444 BCE in Jerusalem challenge us, the people of God in 2022 in, at Ephraim, to make a renewed commitment to community by thinking the best of one another, by trusting each other. This would really stand out in our world that is so skeptical of anybody in leadership and uh, believes the worst about them and makes up stories about their what they're trying to do, their agendas. And if on top of that, we were, tra- we were to make a renewed commitment to community by forgiving one another when someone betrays our trust, even deeply, it would stand out so much, it would make the world stop and take notice. This renewed commitment to community means that we not only commit to think the best of each other and to forgive one another, but to live out our faith with one another. Again, reveal, reveals to us that about half of us don't regularly have conversations with friends, and when I say regularly, I mean about once a year or less, with a friend about our spiritual lives, and that half of us don't have a spiritual mentor, and worse than that, that not only do not many of us have anyone speaking into our life about our faith, a third of us are unwilling to have anyone speak into our life about our faith. And over a half of us aren't helping anyone grow in their faith either, which is a little weird to me because so many of us are parents and I would hope that at least we would be intentionally and strategically helping our kids grow 
in their faith. Further reveal tells us that 70% of us aren't in a small group. And I'm not saying that a traditional small group program is the answer, but I'm saying that all of these things together suggest that we need a renewed commitment to community. We need a renewed commitment to one another. And so I'm going to invite us this morning. I'm going to give us space to renew our commitment to God today. A renewed commitment to put God first and give him our best. A renewed commitment to inconvenient obedience. A renewed commitment to community, to be for each other and our city. And as I do so, let me make three quick observations. First, the people of God in 444 BCE in Jerusalem made a renewed commitment out of the renewed vision of God. It came out of a significant time spent in the word of God. A repeated theme through their confession in chapter nine, which we looked at last week, is this. You are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not abandon us. And out of that comes their commitment. We will only give God our first and our best if we believe God is worthy of our first and our best. We will only give God our inconvenient obedience if we believe God is worth the inconvenience. So before we make a renewed commitment, we need a renewed heart to see God for who he really is. So maybe your next step is to make a renewed commitment to hear and understand God's word and get to know him more. Second observation. I emphasize the weaknesses revealed by reveal. For example, if half of us don't have a spiritual mentor, the good news is that about half of us do. And so for some of us, this call to renewed commitment may mean a pretty radical change, a 180 in our life and our attitudes and our heart in the use of our time and priorities and finances. And for many of us, the renewed commitment we make to God might look more like the renewed commitment that Christine and I made on December 29th, 2021. A reaffirmation of what we were already doing and feeling. An opportunity to tweak some things and examine some things, but really just a reaffirmation of what we had committed to 20 years earlier. Finally, the people of God in Jerusalem in 444 BCE made an act of commitment. Their leaders wrote it out and affixed a seal to it, and then the rest of the people publicly affirmed it by giving voice to it. And this encourages us, the people of God at Ephri Lethbridge in 2022, to make an act of commitment as well. So while the worship team comes up, I'm going to invite you to come to the altar, whether you're in the worship center or in the gym. I'm gonna invite you to come and stand or kneel before God and your family here and renew your commitment to God. To make, maybe make a renewed commitment to give God your first and your best. Maybe a renewed commitment to inconvenient obedience. And if that's your commitment, here's what might happen. You might be looking around you and realize you're in the middle of the row and think, I'm gonna to have to squeeze past all those people that's inconvenient. That's the first test of your renewed commitment. Maybe you'll be making a renewed commitment to community, to be for each other and for our city. Why, why am I asking you to come to the front to do this? 
because it makes your renewed commitment more real. You'll have an event to point back to when the enemy tries to make you doubt that you really did that, that you really committed that to God. You'll be able to remember, I was at the front of the church. I was there. Further, it encourages others to make a renewed commitment as, as well. As you make yours and we commit to one another, you encourage others on their journey. If you don't feel like you need to make a renewed commitment to God today, that's fine. That's between you and God. But I still want you to participate. Because of our renewed commitment to be for each other, if you see someone come to the front, I invite you to come and stand with them or kneel with them. Maybe place your hand on their shoulder and to pray for them. Doesn't have to be out loud unless they ask you to. You don't even have to know what they're committing to. You don't even have to stay with them the whole time. Just pray for them and then move on. But I want us to communicate to one another that we are with one another and for one another as we renew our commitment to God. And so as we close and before we sing and before you come to the front, let's stand together and say this prayer of commitment. Would you read these words and pray them with me? Almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to you, so guide our minds, so fill our imaginations, so control our wills, that we may be wholly yours, utterly dedicated to you. And then use us, we pray, as you will, and always for your glory and the welfare of your people. Through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, as we sing, if you sense God is calling you to a renewed commitment, come. Thanks for listening to the E-Free Lethbridge podcast. We'll see you next week.